A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Hey guys, welcome to this week's edition of Welcome to Madlana. We appreciate you guys making us your weekly destination to catch up with some of our favorite uh, Atlanta and Georgia guests, uh, both past and present. Let's not waste any time. Let's get to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. All right, so Vince, here's where I want to start. I want to see if um, Wikipedia tells the truth about Vince Cellini. Oh, deep research. Way to go, Matt. <laughs> it's my research department. So you tell me true or false. Cellini was a lifeguard at Grovewood, a city pool on the east side of Cleveland. Um, that's true. Uh, that was how I made my summer money through high school and then college. And I worked at the city pools for the City of Cleveland Recreation Department, which is the greatest job because you're basically outdoors. I got to kind of train for football. Uh, and so it was great. And basically sit in a lifeguard chair and tan and eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So it was awesome. Uh, Cellini played tight end on his college football team at the College of Worcester in Worcester, Ohio. Yes, that's true. Uh, I played at the College of Worcester, that powerhouse from the Midwest, uh, (laughs) which uh, it was a a small school in the Ohio Conference, Division III school. However, all you Georgia fans or wherever you're listening (laughs) in, it was the best small college football in America in that stretch and, uh, you know, continues to host some very good teams like Wittenberg and Mount Union, uh, University of Mount Union now, which is uh, was also in our conference. So very good small college football, yes. And I had okay. a teammate, one of my teammates for three years, played in a Super Bowl. So how's that? Played See, in the first Bengals-Niners Super Bowl. That's a good so, connection. Wait a minute, but it, tells start, me, it also tells me here you set three team records, most touchdowns in a season and in a career and yards per catch in a season. Is that all true? Uh, that is, yes, that is also true. Uh, we did not throw often, so those numbers were actually low. But they were records, indeed. Okay, so Wikipedia is <laughs> not that far off. That's not bad. Um, no, it's, no, it's not. That, that is all true, yes. Your first paying job in the media industry was what? Uh, my first paying job in media was uh, a paid internship at uh, WJW-TV in Cleveland right out of school in the uh, fall of 1981. I was, uh, we had a paid internship for uh, videographers, on-air people, producers. So um, I actually was paid probably like, I don't know, seven fifty an hour or something like that to get coffee and answer phones and things like that. So that was the first time I got in the media. So how long was it before you got your first, quote, break? I mean, you're working for a TV station, but when's your first opportunity? Yeah. Well, I didn't know any. I really didn't know how television worked. I was at you know small school. We did radio, but we didn't have a TV department. So I got to uh, eight by badgering a, a former family friend who was a producer there, and he finally got me in. And I sort of finagled my way through the news director, a man named Virgil Dominic, who gave me an opportunity. And I um, basically was hustling in there, trying to, and I did whatever I could to learn about television and how it worked and. I would shadow reporters when they went out on uh, news stories, and I would watch how copy was written and how guys edited video. And uh, so what was your question? I forgot. I guess I was rambling yeah, your first about big myself. break, like wait, on oh, air yeah. or big so break I to get this, the well, – I did this for um, about six months, and the internship was going to end. So I hooked up with a, a fellow named Joe Castiglione, who was a broadcaster who later did Boston Red Sox games. And he was going to do cable television for the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he wanted me to produce and perhaps do a little reporting. He was going to take me with him. Well, word got back to the station that I was going to leave, and they let me sort of freelance start to report in the spring. So I would be paid by the report, and it was news and sports. So that was really my first big break. I I started to get on air a little bit, actually get some coverage, start to do some live shots. And then by that fall, I got the weekend anchor spot. At, at 22, age 22, mm. that October, and basically really green, raw, terrible, terrible. <laughs> but uh, they let me grow into that position and make mistakes and 
that that's where it started. So I got kind of thrown into it. Were you nervous or too young and dumb to be nervous? Horrified. Yeah, I was horrified. Um, I'm nervous about everything, though. I'm a warrior by nature. You know, I'm like, I still get nervous, even, you know, I'm ready to go. And it's funny, someone asked me about this. I still get nervous, but I'm calmer once we're on the air. Once it starts, everything is okay, because you've prepared for it. So, But I was very nervous, because I just felt like it, it was a big moment top TV station in my hometown, a lot of people watching, and I was, I just wanted to do a good job. And so, yes, I, I was very nervous. And those, those first, first months, maybe a year, you don't know who you are on the air. You probably went through this too, Matt. You're trying to figure out your style and who you are and how to look and where to look. And so, um, yeah, I, I was, I was nervous. Just, I, I always feel like I don't want to let anybody down. And that's kind of how I felt about it. Well, and, and it's interesting you say that you still get nervous because I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to age you here, but watching you as a kid, I thought that is about as cool and calm a guy as I've ever seen <laughs> on TV. So you faked it well, or like you said, once you got rolling, maybe you settled in because I, I had never seen too many guys who just looked so comfortable in those settings. Well, no, I thank you. I'm, I'm very comfortable once we start because I always feel prepared. I'm a stickler for research, and I get my stuff together, so I know what I'm going to have that night. I've been really blessed to be around great analysts, and that's calming because you know you can go to these guys and not get you know a death stare back, and you know just a lost look. But no, I I, I think once I, I I'm always it's almost like pregame. You know I'm kind of sort of amped up, and then once we start, it's very comfortable. Um, always been. I don't know why that is, but I just feel like it's at ease. I, I try to have fun because I think I'm doing the thing that I enjoy the most. So because I'm doing the thing that I so enjoy, I, it's relaxing to me. And I just become an extension of who I am, which is another thing we'll talk about and about if you want to, about, you know, finding that style on air and who you are. Well, but, okay, yeah, let's no, go I, there. Then, always, I, I want to talk relaxed. to you about transitioning in a minute, but tell me, how, how do you find that style? Is it trial or error? Do you, like, take it from other people you watched? What did you do? Well, I, I had people that I watched growing up, and, you know, guys like uh, Bob Costas was a big influence on me. I watched him and, and at, when I was at eight. I watched the guys from CNN Sports. I watched Nick Charles and Fred Hickman. I thought Nick was really good. You know, it was interesting because when I was at uh, my first TV job, they had a consultant. They used to hire these consultants who are really failed broadcasters, by the way, most of them. <laughs> and so I was in a room with a woman, and we're watching my tape, and she said, you know, I – you're just, you're really dark. You know, your hair's dark and your skin's dark. And, I, and you know, most of the guys on TV are really you know, lighter. So it's, I'm thrown. She's sort of thrown by that. And I said, well, you know, I, I don't anticipate me light, lightening up anytime soon. I say, it's pretty much who I am. And she just proceeded to kind of go through a bunch of things. And I stopped her. This is how much, how many balls I had back then. I was like 24. And I said, ma'am, can we just stop and you tell me what you like? Because I think it'll be a, sh a shorter list. And then I could work on all the other stuff. <laughs> she just looked at me. But I, I think you're fine. Honestly, Matt, I really believe this. I, I think people who are successful in media in, in some way, shape, or form, and, and you could, it, it's an extension of who you are. And I think you either have this aspect, this it thing, this, this factor, you either have it, and you can display that through your broadcasting or you don't. I, I don't believe in people who become someone on television or become a personality on air. I, I don't. I don't think that works in the long the long haul. So I, I think it's basically an extension of who you are. Find that, and then build on that with I think strong writing, presentation, uh, personality, and you know based and delivery so all of those things i think are are a part of that and you just have to find a comfort zone look i've you see people on there i think this person's good that person's not that good it's not that they're technically not good that they're not a good writer or they don't speak well but there's something there that isn't a spark and i've worked with a few people who are just really really good at that i think i mentioned fred hickman I never saw a guy before that, maybe since, who just jumped out of the screen to me. He's on television. It's just boom. 
And you're like, what is this guy saying? And whatever he is saying or when he's talking to you seems important. And I just, I don't know how you get that. I think it's an eight. So that's kind of how you find your style. Plus you have to get repetitions. You have to get reps. Well, and let me, let me follow up on that. because, And I like your point there because the audience will figure it out. They'll see through you eventually if you're not, as you oh, said, yeah. an extension of yourself. But like for you, I mean, local TV, that's a big deal for a lot of people. So where did it cross over from I'm happy here to like even putting a tape out? And how did CNN become a, become a journey for you? Well, really, I spent my 20s, probably 22 to 29, doing um, the weekends in Cleveland and then reporting three days a week, which I loved. I had a great time because I got the best of both worlds. I love reporting, too. It allowed me to go out in the field, uh, learn to be a better interviewer, learn to assemble stories under pressure because you're kind of driving back in your car for a 6 o'clock show. It might be 4.30, pushing 5 o'clock, writing in the car, listening to my tape-recorded interview, plugging in sound bites, and then turning that around. So it was really a great experience in working under pressure of television and working in that dynamic. Um, but I, I was very happy because I was in my hometown. We had professional sports. The Browns were very good at that point. The Cavs were getting very good at that point. I was having a great time. But I, I think internally I was pushing 30 and there was a, an executive there who I worked with closely who just was not giving me promotions and giving me items to work on. I was not, I was being passed over for a lot of assignments, preseason Browns games, big assignments. And I'm thinking I'm being passed over. Um, she didn't particularly get my style. Um, it was very, there was a lot of friction there and it wasn't a lot of support. And I started getting frustrated in that. I said, geez, I'm, I could do weekends here maybe forever, but I'm, how good can I be? You know, who am I? So I started sending tapes out because I said, I'm going to see just what's out here. And we were a CNN affiliate where we would record CNN 24-7. And I loved their sports show. And I, like I said, I love Nick Charles, who was a guy like me. He's Greek, Italian. I'm Italian. I'm like, the, oh, so you can be this guy and kind of be on the air. He was, he was inspiring. And I, I just was frustrated. I wasn't getting anything. There. I sent my tapes out. And it happened pretty quickly. I, uh, I was uh, contacted by CNN Sports. Bill McPhail was, was the man who developed that. And Jim Walton, who was my boss, who eventually hired me. And that's another point I want to get to. Somebody has to champion who you are as a broadcaster. Someone has to like you executive-wise and, and say, hey, this guy should be a part of what we do. Virgil Dominic was that for me locally. Jim Walton was that for me once I got to CNN Sports. And I just thought my son Vince was born. It was He was eight months old. We had never moved. My wife had never been out of Cleveland. It was. I said, I'm, you know what? I'm going to bet on me. I'm betting on myself that I can do this, and it's time. I'm either going to take a shot on me or I'm going to stay in this environment forever. Not that I didn't love my hometown, still do. But I said, I just, I just had to see what I could be. And... So I did, and packed everybody up and came to Atlanta. So what year is this? This is October of 1989. So what did you know, if anything, about Atlanta when you got here? Well, my older brother, Jim, uh, had lived in Atlanta, and I had a cousin, Chris, who still lived. They both live in Atlanta. So I had family here, which was good. Um, I knew a little bit about the area. Uh, I knew something about Atlanta because I had hung out here. I didn't. I had a lot of blurry memories about Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I couldn't tell you anything specifically <laughs> prior to that in the, in the late seventies and eighties. Um, but I knew I liked. I liked Atlanta. It had kind of a southern breezy feel back then, and it was fun. It was growing. CNN Sports was very strong. Um, it was a brand, and I loved the department and what they were doing. And I thought, wow, I. I had actually interviewed at ESPN prior to that, um, prior to coming here. I did not want to go to Bristol, Connecticut. It looked like crabs in a bucket to me. I got a bad vibe from one of the executives up there. I just did not think it was a fit um, for me. So this was refreshing, and that's really what I knew about Atlanta. I had a little bit of a support system here, um, but otherwise, not, not that much. I learned as I went. I want to talk about one of our great sponsors, 
at the Rhodes Group. Yes, my buddy Clayton Rhodes and the Rhodes Group are a proud sponsor of us here at Welcome to Atlanta, and they're also my insurance company. Uh, it was about, I don't know, four or five months ago now that I finally realized why am I paying so much for my home and car insurance? I don't think we realize as the consumer we should be shopping or having somebody in a professional setting shop those rates for us. So I had the professionals at the Rhodes Group shop my rates, and they ended up saving me a boatload of money. I'm talking about $2,000 for my home and car insurance. By now, you guys know it's a great time to refinance your home. You see all those rates. Well, you might not know it's also a great time to shop your home insurance. Home insurance rates creep up every year, and the only way to get the best policy and the best rate is to work with an independent insurance agency like the Rhodes Group. Here's the deal. You can get up to 10 insurance quotes in 10 minutes from the Rhodes Group at no cost to you. You want to visit them online. I got a special landing page for you. You can go to roads-group.com slash churnoff. It's spelled R-H-O-A-D-S. roads-group.com slash churnoff. You can also see the link up at Real Matlanta on Twitter. They're my insurance company. They're going to do this at no cost to you, and you're going to end up saving a boatload. The Rhodes Group is the answer to saving money and getting the best in insurance coverage. Again, the Rhodes Group is the place you want to go. Tell them Matt sent you. Go to roads-group.com slash churnoff. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. So CNN, I mean, just by its nature, it's cable news, but they did have what we learned was a, a growing sports part of what the what the network was about tell me about cnn when you first walked through the doors because like from the outside is ted turner around you mentioned jim walton like what's the environment when you get there um surprisingly friendly and warm for a big operation we had a great relationship with news because we did so much interaction with news we had our regular shows we were part of their programming um you would see ted turner at in the cafeteria line which was next to the sports department. Um, I got there. There was a great, like, anniversary party. I think they had their, do you want to say 10-year anniversary? When I first got there down in the atrium, which was fantastic. Um, I think CNN at that point was not the CNN that we see today. Um, Overall, I, I think maybe the messaging was a little bit different, but I do think that we had... I'm talking about news. I think in sports, it was fun because we were the chaser. I mean, ESPN had more money. They had more facilities. But we were in there battling with them, and it was fun. It was fun to be a part of that and to say, you know, we got them tonight, or they're watching us, or we were important. And I would find out later that even with our little NFL show that I hosted for years, which I loved on, on CNN, that the guys in – before we would come on before a game day on ESPN and the guys would watch our segments to make sure that Peter King didn't have something they didn't have. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. And I remember seeing Berman out like crossing people. Hey, that's a pretty good little show. You got there. <laughs> pretty good little show. He called it a little show. Pretty good. Little show. <laughs> oh God. And I go, Oh, thanks. Dismissive. Chris. Oh God! <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Is it a good little show? <laughs> what? So, were you uh, like you? How invested are you in the ratings on a nightly basis? We did a, we did a ones one pluses, and we would bump up a lot of times from that ten o'clock news to eleven or eleven thirty. We did solid numbers because at that point, man, I don't think we had as many outlets as we obviously as we do today. So it was appointment viewing, and those thirty minute CNN sports shows were solid. 
they were jam-packed. You got everything you needed. They had a little style to them. They had the play of the day, which uh, was uh, irregular. And, I, I, yeah, we, we did well. We held our own. That was why I was surprised when Rick Kaplan came there, and it was a, a Warner Media uh, purchased. I think it was Warner. Or was it Time Warner? That, Time Warner, I, right. Yeah. Yeah, and they basically said, well, we're going to absorb that time. And if it's a big sports story, we'll cover it as news. And so that was the end of really the Sports Tonight days. But, no, we did well. We, we, we did well. We had regular appointment viewing. And I know when I first got there, Canada did not have ESPN for some reason. So we were huge in Canada as well. That was their, uh, their part of their source. I want to ask you about the chemistry because you mentioned Fred and and Nick because those guys were great. You fit in, I think, beautifully with it. Just from a viewer who, you know, back in the day, we didn't have fifty different ways to consume sports highlight shows. <laughs> right? know, right? There was ESPN, and I would love what you guys would do. Why did the chemistry work between all of you guys so well? I I think because it, the, it was the greatest place, the greatest job ever, and it was an amazing atmosphere. When you got in there, there was an energy every night. On a summer night, all the baseball games are going on. We had a row of guys that were editing and, and logging games. We had editors back there. It was everyone, I think because everyone was invested. And when you're invested in something, you feel like you're part of a team. You're all, you're all pulling in the same direction. I never remember anyone being jealous of anyone else, someone else getting something they wanted. We were, everyone was just, it was great. And I think my philosophy when I got there, first of all, I thought I was the crap. I thought I was the shit when I got there, man. I was like, I'm coming here. I'm from the big market. And I thought, man, you know, you'd be amazed. You, you, you may be surprised that I, I wasn't the humble guy that you're talking to today back then, Matt. This, I had is, a little this, bit is, of this a, is surprising news to me. I'm got to sit down. I had a little bit of, had a little bit of an edge to me back there. A little, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I get in there. And, um, and I'll get back to your point about the chemistry. I get in, and I see this lineup of people, Nick and Fred, uh, Hannah Storm, Dan Hicks, Gary Miller, uh, Tom Kirkland. Uh, I was like, these people are really, really good. And I said, I need to up my game because you're realizing at a national basis, every story is someone's lead story. So you have to have great care with it in a presentation and you know handling it uh, whether you need to know that you know auburn plays in jordan hair not jordan hair uh you you better get all that stuff right or you're you're going to get hammered and so sticklers for information but just i think every like I, I go back to the word invested i think we were all part of something great and everyone loved it and everyone had a good time and i and, and while you have yeah do we have disagreements and some arguments about things but ultimately Everybody liked everyone. It was crazy. It was just so much fun. And we respected one another. And everyone pulled in the same direction to create this this product every night. So I, I just, I don't know. I, I guess it was just, just friends, you know. We, we were friends. And still some of my best friends, like Bob Lorenz, who, who came along after me, who was, we had so much fun. We carpool in hang out do the show come back home and it was we we just had a blast and i would try to make him laugh he tried to make me laugh it it, it it was the ability to i got to cover super bowls and field anchor nba finals and it, it was it was amazing it was amazing that you know i, I was in this environment so I was, I was just so happy i wish it, i wish it never ended well, tell me about one of my favorite shows, and I've talked to you about this before. It became, I don't know if it, if it was cult or just this crazy following or just the time, but when did Calling All Sports, and when did that idea come about, and, and what were your thoughts on it when they offered it to you? Well, um, it, Jim Walton came up with the concept of that. First of all, I never liked the name. I fought against the name. I wanted to call it Night Moves or Night Call, or I, I, didn't, I didn't like it. Um, so, but that's another story. Um, but I acquiesced. Jim approached me about it and said, look, we want to develop this interactive show, which is really kind of cutting edge back then because I don't know that many shows, other than radio shows, had fan interaction. So I don't think a television show did all live. Um, we, at that point, didn't have Twitter. or We, we had emails, 
and calls, basically. Um, but he approached me about it, and he said, look, we have this show. It's going to be unscripted. Um, you go on, and you'll interact with people who call and ask you questions. You're going to have to have opinion. And he said, you're going to have to forget everything that you know about doing shows, and you have to put that aside, and this is a whole new ball game. In other words, we really, if you can believe it, opinion was sort of slightly woven into your stories back then, whereas opinion leads all of these topics today. So he said, you have to really give some opinion, which I was trained not to do. I didn't want to, no one cared what I, I felt when, you, when, we, when I first got into broadcasting. No one cares what I think. I don't, I don't care. They just want to know the facts of the story and then you make your own decision. So he said, you have to put that aside. And then it was just going out there, maybe setting up the show with a few topics and then taking calls. And at first it was tough because it's something new. But then I realized even when it's bad, it'll be good if we lose calls or somebody's goofy or somebody's drunk or someone's high in their dorm room or whatever. So I kind of rolled with it. And then in, in order to fill some time, because we had zero budget, I started writing some skits for the show where we would have an opening skit or we'd have something that took place in that I, I shot as a concept. And I would put, I would put these skits in the show and, then it just kind of evolved, and and that's what it became, and and I still hear about it today, Matt. I still. Well, I mean, I, I was the perfect age for it, right? And, and and as you said, Vince, though it's ahead of, like we got into this. Uh, remember, uh, Fox had their best damn sports show, and like all these mm-hmm. other concepts. But I thought you guys were so ahead, as you said, for an idea. With and it's always the most fun to me when you think back. You had no budget. You had to be unbelievably creative. Yet look what <laughs> look what you came up with that is still talked about two decades later. Well, yeah, we came up with, you know, our regulars, including, you know, the end, which was finish up strong, which we would just try to empty the phone bank as many calls as we could where it wasn't really interaction, but allowed at least if you waited through the show, you can get on and and maybe give me, you know, 10 seconds of what's on your mind. So we kind of emptied the bucket uh, at the end of the show. And finish up strong comes from um, my college coach who would say that in practice. He'd go, all right, let's finish up strong. And so that's what we so that's where I came up with uh, just calling it that. And again, as silly as it was, sometimes it's funny because my set would face the CNN newsroom, it's all open, and I could watch the writers and producers in the newsroom. So when it would come on, even though it was really goofy, if we had an opening skit, I would look out at the newsroom, and they were watching. They were <laughs> they were catching whatever whatever was going to open the show if it was kind of goofy and. And it was goofy. I mean, I did everything from water tasting in the building to uh, I think we had a, a sunflower ski, uh, seed eating cont. I don't know. We did all kinds of stuff. I I made up things. You know, um, I did calling all sports in the past where I'm sitting in black and white and I've got a, like a press hat on with a card <laughs> and a hat and a cigarette. I did calling all sports in the future. What it was going to look like. So whatever I could do, we did. Uh, I we sang on the show. I did singing. So whatever we we could come up with, and Lorenz was he was my my side. He did he was the perfect foil for anything. I'd say Bob, I need you to um, choke on these sunflower seeds. Okay, Bob, I need you to uh, sing with me tonight. We're gonna sing a cappella. Okay, and he just jumped right in. So um, yeah, but it, but it was fun because like you said, there's no budget, it's there's no net, and it was exciting. It was a lot of fun, and I look back at it now. If I, I, you see it on YouTube, I'm like, wow, this guy's like got all kinds of energy and he's like fearless. And so it was a, it, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. So uh, tell me the first time you heard the idea of an all sports network offshoot of CNN to CNN SI and what were your thoughts about, I'm going to put it under the, the heading of battling ESPN. Well, you know, that it was a big endeavor. Um, I think the uh, the concept was uh, they were very earnest in their and noble uh, in that concept in merging Sports Illustrated with CNN and the, the personalities that they had as writers with the broadcasters there in a twenty four seven. However, 
it reminded me of like Golf Channel when I got to Golf Channel. If you don't have rights to something, if you don't have game rights, it's really tough to fill 24 hours. I mean, and you don't have a lot of programming resources. And that was really a challenge early on. It was just trying to fill that 24 hours, make it look different enough and interesting enough. I think um, it, it there may have been just some cracks in the foundation as we started that, and it just never really grew into what I think what the original concept was uh, for that. Um, but again, great experience and great understanding in what makes a successful 24-hour and, and what doesn't. And I listen, it, it comes down to, to money as well. So without the rights to games, without a ton of programming and money, <laughs> you, may, you may be at a bit of a disadvantage. Yeah. Especially <laughs> so battling the that. company that does have all the money and all the games. Yeah, as and, they were, and they were rolling. You know, Matt, you know how ESPN was a monster. I mean, they just had all kinds of resources and money and, uh, you know, eventually – um, you know, they win the battle and the war. I want to talk about one of our great sponsors at the Rhodes Group. Yes, my buddy Clayton Rhodes and the Rhodes Group are a proud sponsor of us here at Welcome to Atlanta, and they're also my insurance company. Uh, it was about, I don't know, four or five months ago now that I finally realized why am I paying so much for my home and car insurance? I don't think we realize as the consumer we should be shopping or having somebody in a professional setting shop those rates for us. So I had the professionals at the Rhodes Group shop my rates, and they ended up saving me a boatload of money. I'm talking about $2,000 for my home and car insurance. By now, you guys know it's a great time to refinance your home. You see all those rates? Well, you might not know it's also a great time to shop your home insurance. Home insurance rates creep up every year, and the only way to get the best policy and the best rate is to work with an independent insurance agency like the Rhodes Group. Here's the deal. You can get up to 10 insurance quotes in 10 minutes from the Rhodes Group at no cost to you. You want to visit them online. I got a special landing page for you. You can go to roads-group.com slash churnoff. It's spelled R-H-O-A-D-S. Roads-group.com slash churnoff. You can also see the link up at Real Matlanta on Twitter. They're my insurance company. They're going to do this at no cost to you, and you're going to end up saving a boatload. The Rhodes Group is the answer to saving money and getting the best in insurance coverage. Again, the Rhodes Group is the place you want to go. Tell them Matt sent you. Go to roads-group.com slash churnoff. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. A lifetime of hard work. Children laughing in the kitchen. Family photos on a restaurant wall. A legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Did you, I have a couple of ways, a couple of directions I want to go here. Did you have offers from anybody else in the heart of your CNN or CNNSI days yeah. that you ever considered? I did. Um, actually, the Best Damn Sports Show approached me first um, to uh, to go out to Los Angeles. And um, I got a call about going out there to um, do what was called a, uh, uh, a rehearsal, con- no, not a rehearsal contract, a uh what they do is they have you sort of uh, audition for the show and do a, a fake show out there. And if they like it, you have to sign immediately. So it's like kind of entertainment thing where I was like, well, wait a minute, I got little kids. I, I, I got to think over what, you know, hold it. So it, it sounded a little um, like a, a, a jump for me that I wasn't ready to, to make only because, not that I don't respect Fox and what they were doing out there. It's, it seemed exciting and to be out doing entertainment stuff. But here I had not only the CNN stuff, but I was hosting NFL and NBA on TNT. So I was content 
um, at that point to just to continue to stay here. But I had gone to ESPN again and visited up there, and I got a bad – once again, I did not have a good experience um, with – with someone up there who was met one of the many executives I had to meet. I won't, I won't say his name, but I remember waiting to speak to several and in, in a conference room, he, he said to me just unsolicited, he said, look, uh, you know, you, you may, you may be a big uh, star uh, at, at CNN, but up here we have a lot of stars mm-hmm. or, or you think you're a big star. I said, well, I don't think I'm anything. And I just, that rubbed me the wrong way. And so I just felt like I didn't like the vibe. And um, so I didn't do that. But also, I actually got a, a movie script, which is a bad movie. So a lot of things like that w- were happening at that time. So, yes, there was there was some interest. Is there yeah. anything you regret not taking? Um, no, because I think I was – no, because I, I, I had family considerations. I love where my boys were being raised here in the area in Atlanta. They were in a great school. I didn't want to disrupt them, and I was very content doing all the stuff that I was doing with CNN and Turner. So that was um, that. Uh, no, I, I was I was fine with that. So I'm, I'm glad. So I when did, did you get an opportunity to do, or did you want to do news? When did that transition begin that you wanted oh, to try well, that? So CNN, I, I knew CNN Sports Illustrated was maybe not long for this earth. Uh, so uh, Jim Walton again. Uh, stepping in suggested that, that I can I try to do some news, and so I stepped into um, a news role uh, in, in the morning, and uh, I started doing that. And it was a little, it was different. It was different because not only is it news, but it's also um, someone writing news scripts for you. There are news right. I wrote all my copy my whole life. And using someone else's words or presentation or slant on something may not be what I felt it would be. But you don't have time to change these over because you're getting live scripts during the course of it being on the air. You're being handed things. So it, it was a little different. It was a great experience. I mean, a really great experience to try something different. And again, you know, we always have to evolve. We have to evolve. We have to try to do different things. Um whether for me it was it was news it was trying to do play by play which i had never done I was a play by play guy doing some radio so it was a wonderful opportunity um and it was uh it it, it was a great experience um i think just once 9-11 happened and we did that day and the next day it was not it was the idea of either staying and doing news but without an actual assignment or regular show, or do I take my severance, which is a good package, and then sort of regroup and and start again? So I I, I chose the latter rather than stay and do news. Well, let, well, let me ask you though about nine eleven because you were on the air that day. Was that schedule already set? Did was there a shuffle? Like what happens that morning? No, that that schedule was set. It was a Tuesday morning, and we were doing the seven seven to uh, nine. And uh, it was, I think the big stories were shark attacks all that summer. And then it was Fashion Week in New York. And we were right at the end of a segment. We were almost at the end of the show. So we were offset with um, wireless mics. And I think Carol Lynn was working with me that morning. And, I, and she was doing her segment. And I'm, I look over my shoulder, and there's a hustle and bustle. There's this bustle, like this this disturbance and all the morning meeting is coming down the stairs at CNN with these this ashen looks on their face they were all like panicked or something something was up and all of a sudden you know how a newsroom is Matt like it's quiet but then when something's going on it just becomes a buzz mm-hmm. and I'm like what the hell's going on and we were summoned to the set and they said get to the set um, a plane has hit one of the towers of the World Trade Center and I was like can you say that again and they did. They repeated it, and we got to the set, and we were able to get a, sort of a weather-stagnant shot of just this smoke billowing out of the tower. And that was the early moments of what exactly happened, where we were trying to find eyewitnesses, someone who could tell us something about what happened. And, I, and, and my first thought was, is it, was it a private plane? Because 
you know this, Matt, that's not an airspace for New York at all for commercial. And it was a beautiful, sunny, crisp day. It wasn't like it was a bad weather day. So early on, we were able to start understand that a commercial airliner had gone in and uh, so on and so forth. And that's where it began. Just the early minutes of that, probably I only did the first eight minutes till we handed off to the next show. And then later the day would unfold in a second plane and, and so on. Well, let me ask you in that short time, which eight minutes, for those who don't know, yeah. <laughs> on TV could be an eternity. Like how fast yeah. are things coming in? How much are you afraid to speculate? Like what are you what are you even making of that most unprecedented situation at the moment? Well, we're just right at that point. You know, I'm 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 online and I'm just trying to get to gather. You know what what's happening? What what people do know uh, at that point? So I'm on you know all the wire services at that point and look looking on the uh, the uh, computer we had on set, which I don't even think was a laptop. I think we had like some big ass computers then and i we were getting more from a cnn financial producer who was there who saw it so we had a phone interview and he was able to talk us through what he saw early on all you're trying to do is stay in the moment say what we know don't get ahead of it and don't speculate so all we're, we're doing is piecing together the early moments of this why did it happen? When did it happen? What was it? Um, what What do we know about that particular flight? So it it's just not getting ahead of it, but staying in and not trying to be too bold with that story. And I, I that's what we did, just to carry it through those uh, those early moments. Mm. What is uh, and I, maybe you left right after your shift is done, but no, what was no, CNN no, like did. the rest of the day? Oh, it was crazy. I mean, I stayed. And at that time, they had a ceiling-to-floor monitor in one section of the studio. And that's when I saw, and we all saw, uh, the second plane go in. And that's when people knew that this was that this was not what we thought it was initially. This wasn't accidental. This was, this was an intentional attack. It was funny because there, I really remember veteran news people that day crying being extremely upset and it was just this feeling of we're under attack and i thought later this must be what it felt like when in you know maybe world war ii when these correspondents were hearing this news for the first time i don't know I mean, america was being attacked and it was just it was overwhelming and i thought that they did a great job to sort of navigate through that early the early stages but people were extremely upset obviously. And then I remember coming in the next morning in an overnight and doing a show. And it was the, the aftermath of seeing that in the early morning hours of sunrise in New York city and the rubble and everything that was left behind. So it was just really gut wrenching, emotional, horrible, uh, sad, very, very sad time. And no matter the hardened journalists you are that were around me, they were still all very much affected by it. I'm going to ask you about uh, your transition from CNN in a minute, but are you like, what's the word you would use to describe where we are with news media, specifically CNN, if you want to go there 20 years later when, a, you know, another earth shattering, you know, news changing item like a pandemic hits us. What are your thoughts on how mm. they've covered that compared to when you were there? I. I'm sort of old school, you know. Um, I I see news now as I I don't know. I, I almost have to filter through whatever the the presenter's opinion is or or take or slant before we get to some details. I, I think we have to be we have to choose wisely about what our sources are for this news because I just don't see it the same anymore. I think it's it's become a little grandstanding by the people who present this. And I, I know I'm going to sound like get off my lawn and, you know, this guy's an old guy, but I'm just sort of um, traditional when it comes to, to giving that information. So I think we've, you know this, I mean, this is no secret. I think we, we, we have different outlets that have different uh, perspectives on what's happening in the world and it's 
it's just a lot of opinion based and a lot of, you know, going off half cocked and saying what you feel. And that's maybe that's the word feelings. You know, we're putting our feelings ahead of uh, a lot of what the, the, the news actually is. And that's, you know, the information itself. I always felt like we're here to present the information. You can wrap a lot of your personality around it, but I don't think you should put your personality ahead of it. And that may be the other way around. I just feel like there's a lot of, for sports, there's a lot of yelling at me uh, in the morning <laughs> and during the day. And sometimes in news, there's a lot of lecturing me. And I don't like either. I think it's well said. Um, so from the points on CNN to TNT and doing all these different things, eventually the mm-hmm. golf channel. So tell me about your experience there. Because, I mean, we'll be very honest, like Tiger brought a whole new fan base to the sport two decades ago and whether that's you know sort of you know ebbed and flowed through the years i'm sure the golf channel wants to sort of benefit off that so tell me your experience there and the tiger effect okay well jim huber was our uh, the late great jim huber was our golf uh, beat guy uh, at cnn for many years i liked golf a lot and it was an opportunity to stay at uh, a national level I would have to move the kids, but Orlando was not, you know, moving them to, uh, you know, Beijing. It was, uh, I mean, I tried to explain that to them. I said, guys, we're going to Orlando. It's like Disney World, and <laughs> it's, it's really, it's going to be, it's going to be great. And um, I, but, but the thing about golf is it's, it's, it's the sport that where fans filter the game through themselves because they play. So they're looking at a guy making a shot. It's almost, I guess, like poker where you would watch and you go, I wouldn't make it, I wouldn't play it this way. I'll play it this way. So fans are, are very um, invested. Again, I'll use that word because they, they see the game as they play it and who they like and who play, who they feel like they emulate their game after. And they're very, it's an individual game. So it's personal. It's personal with the pros. It's personal with you. Um, And it was just all things, all levels golf. And so I had to immerse myself in golf history, the, the levels of golf, what what winning a tournament means here, what are the different amateur events, what are the you know USGA events, PGA events. So it was really a learning process and an adjustment too to live a year on the PGA Tour schedule because it was um, people are that invested, and the people that worked there were those types of people where they were like all things golf. I mean, they were, uh, they followed other sports, but you know, golf was a, was a passion or an obsession uh, to, to a lot of folks there. And I think that's a lot, how a lot of people viewed it. And I was fortunate because when I started covering the PGA tour, a lot of the guys knew me from CNN. So that helped break the ice. And that gave me a little, a, a little credibility, some credibility with them when I went to cover them, that was more of a, I would say trust maybe rather than credibility. So it was, um, it was a transition though, for sure. So let's finish up with this then. Tell me through your kids' eyes, uh, how cool was it for them to have dad on TV or was he just dad and it was the job? Like how did they view it? Yeah, I never, honestly, I, I, I never made a big deal about it with them as far as thinking it was like special because honestly, I, I, we have friends who are, talented surgeons here or people that are actually saving lives what i did is goofy compared to what what these people do so i i think the thing about them is i would use them on use them as props and uh and you know no matter how much they cried no i i would i would involve them i would involve them in in some of the skits uh, which we still have when they were little kids. So they were around it a lot. And I think for them, it became um, comfortable and second nature to see it. They just saw their dad as this is what he did. And But honestly, when I went to Little League, and I, you know, I was baseball hat glasses guy. I was like playing low key. I didn't want to be, you know, like any great shakes. So for them, they grew up, uh, they grew up around it and were familiar with it. And, and I think, it helped them in because they had to do a little performance stuff. They were a little more outgoing, uh, good with folks, um, you know, think on their feet. And they're all still very much like that. They, they enjoyed it. They, they liked the part about being able to go places to an all-star game or 
to Hawaii or to a football game. So they, they enjoyed that part of it. They got to have those perks. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, no great shakes. Dad being dad is not a, not a bad view from the kids' way. No, no, I mean, you know, I did make them, you know, I did make them watch all my tapes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> review them. I, wanted, I want feedback in the morning, yes. That's the best way to do it. No. No, I, no, it was, uh, it was, it was fun. I, you know, it's pretty, pretty normal. And that, yeah. that's where, uh, yeah, that's, that's where my wife came in. She made sure that, and, and, and frankly, she, she deserves a lot of credit, um, probably the majority of the credit in my success because she, I'll, I'll put it this way. And I posted this on one of my social medias. I found a note from my oldest boy, Vince. I think he was in maybe third grade or fourth grade. And they said, what are you? tell us about your parents. And he said, well, I, I like my parents. They're really nice. They t- take care of us. My mo- my father works hard for us, and my mother does everything else. Mm. And that's how they saw it. She took care of, she ran the house. And so that I, I, could, I could be what I had to be to, uh, to do broadcasting. Uh, you know what? That's a great place to leave it. Uh, Vince, great stories, incredible career, and uh, thanks for sharing some time with us. Nothing but uh, success and health moving forward. Matt, same to you. Always good to talk with you, and I'm I'm uh, I'm proud of the broadcaster you've become too. You've done a I, great job. I appreciate that very much, Vince. Thank All you, right, my bro. friend. Take care, guys. Thanks again for joining us. We appreciate it very much. Thanks to the great folks at the Rhodes Group. Remember, the Rhodes Group is where you want to go to have them shop your insurance rates, both car and home. They did it for me. At no cost, they will do it for you at no cost, and they can save you a bundle of money. You have nothing to lose and only something to gain with the Rhodes Group. You can go to the Rhodes Group, uh, check out their great website. You can go to my Twitter page and find out the information there with a landing page right over to find out how they can get you 10 quotes as quickly as 10 minutes. Thanks to Brian Murphy for producing the podcast, and thanks to you guys for making us your weekly destination. We'll talk to you next week on Welcome to Madlanta. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play And we ride on them things like every day Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming And parties don't stop till 8 in the morning Welcome to Atlanta where the players play And we ride on them things like every day Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming uh-huh. And parties don't stop yeah. till 8 in the morning Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light A business owner is burning the midnight oil An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why.